Hey, thanks for being here. My name is John McLarnon. I am one of the pastors around here, specifically the pastor at our Cary Crossroads location. If you're our guest today, thanks so much for spending part of your weekend here with us. Those who might be watching online, thanks for jumping in as well. We've been in a series called Summer Playlist, where we're looking at the Old Testament book of Psalms. Psalms, by the way, just simply means songs. And we've just been looking at some of our favorites for the last couple of weeks. Today, we're actually going to wrap up the whole thing by looking at Psalm, or song, you could say, number 139. So if you have your own uh, copy of the Bible, if you were to open up to the middle of it, you would probably land in Psalms somewhere. Go ahead and do that. If you're reading on a mobile device, by all means, pull that out. Or if you need a copy of the Bible, just raise your hand. One of our ushers will come to you and give you one. That's yours to keep if you would like to have it. While we're doing all that, Um, I recently saw a list of what were the most played songs, all right, most played songs. I'm going to give you a chance to think about that and then maybe just share with somebody next to you here in a second. But the way you kind of get that list is you, you look at what's the most played songs, what are the most performed songs, and then what songs have been sung the most. And you kind of put all that together and you come up with this list. And I'm just going to give you three of them, all right? And so maybe as you're thinking about it, just share with the person next to you what might be one or two, or could you even get three of the most played songs? Now, if you've been watching the Olympics the last couple of weeks, you might think it's the Star Spangled Banner. That's not one of them. I'll give you a clue, all right? And so move on, pick something else, all right? Go ahead and share with somebody. I'll give you 15 seconds. Go. I think I heard back in black. That's not one of them over here. That's not, none of that. Anybody think you got one? All right, well, I'll just go ahead and reveal them to you. All right, number three, no dispute over that. It's this song, The Twist by Chubby Checker, all right? Anybody get that one? Yeah, and that was not on your radar anywhere, I know. Um, And then the next two is kind of debatable, which is one and which is two. I I took the liberty to order them myself, and the reason I did that is because, well, number two is this one. You might have gotten this in one of your top two, is Happy Birthday, all right? Anybody get that one? Happy Birthday. The reason I put it in number two is because you may not know this, but every time you sing happy birthday, you're not allowed to sing happy birthday in public without paying royalties, by the way. So keep that in mind. And no, you didn't know that, did you? Uh, number one is this, all right? Anybody get this one? It's a small world. Oh, yeah, that's exactly how I feel right there. Oh, no, my goodness. The, the Disney theme, right? And so... so uh, if you're like me and you hear that and you go, oh, the small world, like, oh, no, it's already, it's already looping in my head. This is not, I, don't, I don't like this song. And it's a terrible ride, by the way. Let's just say that. But um, it also finds its way on another list that I, I think is where it really belongs. It's on the list of most annoying songs as well, all right? And so, so if you're like me, right, you got, you're, you're kind of on the, I don't know, loathe side of things where, like, when I hear it, I just kind of cringe and it's like I want it to go away. And, um, but then I do acknowledge there are some people, maybe some small people among us who say, no, I love that. That, that's, that's my favorite song. And so when we come to read Psalm 139 today, there's going to be those two kinds of responses. Because I'm going to read the whole thing for you here in just a second. We're going to look at it together. And as you're hearing parts of it, and as David, who writes it, as he's revealing certain things in his progression of his thinking about God, you're going to come to certain places and you go, oh, I don't know if I really like that or not. I resist that. And it's going to make you feel a little vulnerable, 
And it's going to seem like, oh, maybe I need to run from God. I need to hide. Others of us are going to hear the exact same thing, and we're going to read it, and we're going to go, oh, no, not vulnerable. That makes me feel valuable. And instead of running from God and hiding, I feel like I want to run right to God and trust him. And so we're going to read Psalm 139 together this morning. If there was going to be one psalm out of all the 150 that I would suggest we put on repeat, it would be Psalm 139. Because of what the lyrics reveal to us about God and about ourselves and what it tells us about how God feels about us and also how we're able to respond to him. So now that it's a small world is on loop in your head, let's read Psalm 139. Here's what David writes. Lord, You have examined my heart and you know everything about me. You even know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. You go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I go down to the grave, you're there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me, the light around me to become night, but even in darkness I cannot hide from you. To you the night shines as bright as day. Darkness and light, they're the same to you. God, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body, knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complete and complex. Your workmanship is marvelous, how well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you're still with me. And then he finishes up this way in 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me, know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Great words. There are at least two universal truths that David lays out for us in the lyrics of this psalm that made a life-changing impact on him. They have and they are for me, and I hope that they will do the same for you. Here's the first truth that you see in there, is that you have God's undivided attention. You have God's undivided attention. Most experts who study population trends will tell us that there are roughly 7.4 billion people living in the world that we live in, plus or minus 10. I think that's what we say. 7.4 billion people living in the world that you and I live in. We have, um, on average, twice as many people being born per year as are dying, which creates an additional 80 million people living on our planet this year than we had last year. Now, if you're, you're living here in Wake County, you've been around here, you're like, okay, I think a lot of them are moving here to Raleigh. <laughs> you understand, right, the, the kinds of problems and challenges it creates. 80 million new people creates a challenge for humanity. It is not a challenge. It is not an issue. It is not a problem for God in any way, shape, or form. 
Think about this, that right now, where you are sitting, he's watching you. He sees you. And he knows you. And he knows the same thing about every other person seated around you. There's never a moment in your life where you get one seven billionth of God's attention. Just look back on some of the things David says in his opening lines about God. He says, God, you know when I sit down, when I stand up. God, you know my thoughts. God, you know if I go on a road trip or if I'm staying at home. God, you know what I'm about to say before I say it. No, you're in front of me. Wait, no, you're actually behind me. (laughs) David says, God, you know me extensively and you know me exhaustively. You have God's undivided attention all the time. And so does everyone seated around you. It's actually one of the things that defines him as God, isn't it? And yet there's an amazing thing that you see throughout the scriptures, is that God wants us to know him in similar ways. He invites us to have a very intimate, a very personal kind of relationship with him, and he reveals himself to us as as a father. Now, if I was to bump into you in downtown Raleigh, Later today, we go downtown, and you're downtown, and we're eating off of a food truck somewhere, all right? The way that we introduce ourselves when we meet each other will tell us a lot about the degree of the kind of relationship that we have, right? So if you, um, if you make eye contact with me and nod and say, dude, that's, that's one kind of a relationship, right? If you walk over to me with your hand extended and say, hello, pastor, that's another kind of relationship, all right? If um, you come over to me and you greet me with a hug and you call me by my first name, John, that means, I hope, that we know each other in some form. We've known each other. Listen, you would not believe how many people did this on the way out after the first service, all right? They just come in for a hug and calling me by first name, and we didn't really know each other that well. You're free to do that as you leave today, all right? You're free to do that. But if you were to um, give me a hug like snuggle in a little bit and kind of cuddle up to me. You better know me really well, but for one. But you might say something to me like, um, you have coffee breath or you need to shave. Then you probably know me really, really well. You probably know me as dad. Now, it is a struggle, I understand, for many of us to relate to God or try to understand what it's like to relate to God because we, we have a father who was anything like that, right? He, he was more distant and perhaps even demanding. A few years ago, I read the autobiography of tennis star Andre Agassi uh, titled Open. And you might know Andre Agassi. He was ranked number one in the world at the age of 16, actually spent two decades in the top five. And in the book, he talks about his father who forced him to play tennis, saying, that it was his dad's dream and desire that Andre would be the number one player in the world before he was ever born. And so um, he was hitting 2,500 practice balls a day when he was six years old because the goal, according to his dad, was to hit a million in a year. So he writes about one of his practice sessions this way. He says, my arm feels like it's going to fall off. I ask, how much longer, Pops? No answer. So I get an idea. Accidentally, on purpose, I hit a ball high on the fence. I catch it on the rim of the racket so it sounds like a misfire. My father sees the ball leave the court and curses. He stomps out of the yard, and I now have one and a half minutes 
to catch my breath. And this is a relationship, right, between a father and a child. You can guess how it ended up. He ended up resenting him all throughout his life, saying, I never chose this life. Now, maybe his anger is what actually fueled his success. I don't know. But I wonder if he could have even been better as a tennis player if he had a father who was warm and welcoming and loving. See, that actually leads to the second truth I want us to see from Psalm 139, is that not only do we have God's undivided attention, you have God's unfiltered affection. You have God's unfiltered affection. He sees you and he knows you. And in spite of what you might be trying to hide, he still loves you. And the same is true for me. Now, this can be a little scary for some of us, I understand. Because in most human relationships, the more we know someone and the more they get to know us, the more they see what no one else sees, right? And in many relationships, we try to protect ourselves from that. And so we'll put up barriers or we'll hide the parts that we don't want to be seen. It seems to me like when I'm reading David's lyrics that he's been hiding from God or at least imagining what it would be like to try to escape him. But it didn't work. He couldn't fool God. You go back and you start reading in verse 7 and following, and he says these kinds of things. I can never escape. I can never get away. Heaven, you're there. I could go to the grave. You're there. God, I could go to the ocean, and you're there. I can't even hide in the dark. You're there surrounding me. He says, look, God, you're, you're familiar with absolutely everything about me. I can't hide anywhere from you. Friends, God knows you, and he loves you. He knows you, and he loves you. In the opening pages of a book with an awesome title, When Bad Christians Happen to Good People, don't you like that? The author David Burchett makes this admission. He says, I must begin with some words of disclosure. I am a hypocrite. I can be arrogant and selfish. I've been known to stretch, conceal, or slightly massage the truth. I am sometimes inconsiderate and insecure. I struggle with lust, impure thoughts. My ego often rages out of control, and I battle foolish pride. I can be lazy and foolhardy with my time. I get angry, petty, and ill-tempered. I am sarcastic and cynical. I am a Christian. <laughs> God knows it all, friends. So let's not try to run from him. Let's not try to hide from him. Let's not try to resist what he wants to offer to us. God knows everything about you. He knows everything about me, and he loves us anyway. I, I, I want you just to stay on that point for a second. Don't move on to the, the but part. Don't move on to what do I need to do. Just, just stay there. That God knows you, sees you, and loves you anyway. The prayer goes like this, thank you God that you love me even though you know me. <laughs> I've tried to operate this way as a father. I failed miserably many times, but sometimes I succeed. And when our girls, our two girls were much younger, my wife, Chris and I walk upstairs one day to find that they had spent considerable amount of time playing with makeup. Now, if you're a parent, you know that when things go dark, like when it's dead quiet, you probably need to find out what's happening, right? And so we hadn't heard anything for a long time. We go upstairs, and they had been 
playing with a lipstick. And what they had done, I want to say they're probably about three and five at the time, they had decided for whatever reason to practice their kissing technique. I, I don't know. And they had there, all the way down the hallway upstairs, left three and five-year-old lipstick lip imprints on the wall. They had kissed the wall, starting here, got all the way down there, got to the end of that wall and realized, hey, there's a blank canvas on the other side. They came down all the way to the other side. So we have all these lipstick prints on the wall, right? And so we come upstairs, and there stood these two girls, right? And our first reaction, I do remember this, was to look at each other like my wife and I, to realize we had made an excellent decision on the semi-glass paint, for one, and then a little snicker, like a little snicker with one another, like, oh, okay, well, hide that little snicker. Because there stood these two girls who knew they hadn't made the best decision, like they knew it. And they didn't try to run, and they didn't try to hide. They pretty much stepped back and said, we've been caught, but look at our artwork. <laughs> Look what we've done. Now, here's what they know. Two things. One, we're going to have to clean this up. Secondly, no matter what we've done, you're going to love us. So let's just acknowledge what's happened here. <laughs> and I think that's what's happening for David, right? A change starts to take place in his lyrics. And instead of feeling really, really vulnerable that God sees him and knows him, he begins to embrace God's presence. I'm done running. I'm done hiding. I'm just going to thank you, God, that I'm known and loved. And you come to verse 13, and it seems like he's reaching some conclusions while he's writing. This is the way he reads in 13. God, you, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body. You knit me together in my mother's womb. In other words, God, there are parts of me that no one could see and no one could know. I have inner parts, and you created me. God, you made me wonderful. You made me complex. I'm marvelous, and now I know it. Look at 16. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. Right? No more running, no more hiding. I'm on to praising you because you consider me to be so valuable. This little girl, this is a picture of a girl named Emerson Faith. When her mother was pregnant, the doctor told her to abort the baby because this child is gonna have Down syndrome. It's gonna make your life so much easier. She prayed about it, actually believed that Emerson was not going to be a burden. She was actually going to become a blessing. And so mom wrote a letter back to that doctor to try to convince him to change his views, or at least how he counseled people going forward. I just want to read this letter to you. She says, I came to you during the most difficult time in my life. I was terrified, anxious, and in complete despair. I didn't know the truth yet about my baby, and that's what I desperately needed from you. But instead of support and encouragement, you suggested we terminate our child. I told you her name, and you asked us again if we understood how low our quality of life would be with a child with Down syndrome. You suggested we reconsider our decision to continue the pregnancy. From that first visit, we dreaded our appointments. The most difficult time in my life was made nearly unbearable because you never told me the truth, that my child was perfect. I'm not angry. I'm not bitter. I'm really just sad. 
I'm sad the tiny beating hearts you see every day don't fill you with a perpetual awe. I'm sad the intricate details and the miracle of those sweet little fingers and toes, lungs and eyes and ears don't always give you pause. I'm sad you were so very wrong to say a baby with Down syndrome would decrease our quality of life. And I'm heartbroken. You might have said that to a mommy even today. But I'm mostly sad you'll never have the privilege of knowing my daughter, Emerson. Because you see, Emerson has not only added to our quality of life, she's touched the hearts of thousands. She's given us a purpose and a joy that's impossible to express. She's given us bigger smiles, more laughter and sweeter kisses than we've ever known. She's opened our eyes to true beauty and pure love. So my prayer is that no other mommy will have to go through what I did. My prayer is that you, too, will now see true beauty and pure love with every sonogram. And my prayer is when you see that next baby with Down syndrome lovingly tucked in her mother's womb, you will look at that mommy and see me and then tell her, your child is perfect. Friends, God is a father who sees you and he loves you the way that mother loves her daughter. And he feels the same about me. He, he declares you to be, he declares me to be perfect. Perfect. He sees you as you are, right? He knows you inside and out and he loves you as you are. I need you to grasp that. Oh, it gets even better. And here's the really good news, right? That he wants to transform us. He wants to take all the bad things that have happened in your life, all the things that you've done, all the things that have been done to you, all the parts and the ways in which you've tried to hide from him, and he wants to put his power to work in your life. He wants to put his power to work in your life, not only for your good, <coughs> excuse me, but for the good of everybody else watching in the world. See, that's God's specialty, isn't it? God's specialty is to take any story and use it for good. I get a unique vantage point as a pastor because people will come down here at the end of a service, people will send me an email, people will sit down with me over a cup of coffee, and they'll just say things like, you know, I, I just want to tell you what God's doing in my life, right? Life's been really, really hard, but let me tell you what God is doing. A couple of weeks back at our carry location, at the end of the service, a woman came and she brought me an envelope and inside she had handwritten three pages of things that she wanted me to know. And she handed it to me and she said, I, I just want to tell you the miracles God is doing in my life lately. And I read it, example after example of God's power working in difficult moments in her family. And what she thought was going to harm and hurt her family, God is actually using for his good. Uh, she had to take some steps of trust for sure, right? To trust that God is going to be in control, to trust that he's not going to abandon them, to trust that he's actually going to step in and help. And you know what happened? He did. He did. And she's got a story to share. Now, I think many of us just need these simple reminders today. I think you just need to be reminded you have God's undivided attention. You've got his unfiltered affection, and he can make something great with your story. I think others of us are just wondering if this truly can be possible. Like, is that, is that truly possible? A blog post titled The Land of Beginning, the author Louisa Fletcher writes this, I wish there were some wonderful place in the land of beginning again. 
where all our mistakes and all our heartaches and all of our poor selfish grief could be dropped like a shabby old coat at the door and never put on again. Friends, there is such a place. There is a place where you get God's undivided attention, his unfiltered affection. It's the cross, right? The cross of Jesus. I mean, there's such a place, right, that's full of grace and mercy and God's love, a place where he invites us to bring all the things that we've done, all the things that life has brought to us. We give it to a loving father who hands out attention and affection, and he turns it all around into something good and beautiful. I think David finally gets there, right, to fully embrace God this way. Just look at his final thoughts in 17 and 18. God, how precious are your thoughts about me? They can't be numbered. I can't count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you're still with me. In other words, God, it seems like you think about me all the time. You're there when I fall asleep and you're there when I wake up. And Psalm 139, right? These lyrics, just wonderful, beautiful song in which David finally concludes in a very simple and profound way that when I'm able to put my life in God's hands, he puts his unmistakable peace in my heart. I don't know if you would know this name or not, Betty Henson. She's a stay-at-home mom who lives in the Midwest, and she had a young, rambunctious child named Jim. Now, periodically, Betty would take things down to the Salvation Army. Mostly old clothes that they had outgrown were out of style, thinking we could pass these on to someone else. Well, on one particular trip that day, there on the top of the stack in the back of the vehicle was an old, shabby, full-length, green, out-of-date coat. <laughs> and Jim begged his mom, I want that coat. Can I have that coat? I want to do something with it. She's like, no, no, no. Somebody else can use this. We're taking this to the Salvation Army. Well, he just kept nagging her. I need that. Please let me have that coat. And finally, she relented. Jim, you, 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 all right, you, you can use this. Well, as soon as he got home, Jim took the green full-length shabby coat and ran to the basement, and he came up several hours later with something you might be familiar with. It looks like this. <laughs> he came up several hours later with a puppet, and the original puppet had two halves of ping-pong balls that he had found that he made the eyes out of. And from that point on, his mom actually saw something in this child. I, I see you come alive. I, I, I see what's happening here. And so from time to time, she would pass things on to him and just simply say, hey, do you want to use these? Now listen, if a little boy with a vivid imagination can create lovable characters out of old clothing, I wonder what the creator of the universe is capable of doing when we submit and surrender ourselves to him. Listen, I don't know what your last week was like. I mean, you could have walked in here today and marriage is just hanging by a thread or your finances are not where you want them to be or you've got a child going down a road that you're not really crazy about. I mean, you struggle with a sin, battle an addiction, I don't know. You're a teenager, right? And we're about all, we're about all back in on school this week, right? Or like me, you might have just sent your last kid off to college, right? You're in a whole new phase. I, I know that the power of God is available to each and every one of us, and that God is giving out his undivided attention and his unfiltered affection to every single one of us, and that includes me. 
Now, like I said, that might cause some of, some of us to feel vulnerable. So listen, you, you can't hide from God. You, you can't run from God. You cannot escape him. You can only ignore him so long. So instead of running from him, he's inviting us to come over here and actually run to him. And his attention and his affection are there to make us feel valuable. So let's trust him with our lives. Or could we take a step towards trusting him with our lives where we just simply say, all right, God, I'm done. I've tried it all. I have nowhere else to go. I want the peace that only you can bring to my life. You see me, you know me, you love me anyway. I put my life in your hands and I'll make this guarantee. We'll finish. When you do that, God is there every single time to be what he truly wants to be, your father, your father. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much today that you have given us wonderful songs with lyrics like these in Psalm 139. And so God, today we just, uh, we say thank you for that. God, thank you that you shower us with your attention and your affection, that you love us as we are, period. And yet what a wonderful idea, God, that you can even take those parts of our life that we hide and things that we might think are just a bad story, God, and you can do something wonderful with them. So God, today I just pray that as we come to embrace you as a father, that we would just take steps to trust you with our lives more and more. And we pray these today through Jesus, amen.